This is the Second Chair Leadership Podcast, and I'm Matthew Johnson. This is the podcast dedicated to help you lead your church or nonprofit at the functional level. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation I was able to recently record with Dr. James Littles. He is the professor of practical theology at Urshan Graduate School. You can learn more about Urshan Graduate School and their upcoming symposium by going to ugst.edu. Click on the resources link and you'll see a listing there for the symposium. It's happening later this week. It's a great event with some great content. If you're uh, not familiar with the work of Dr. Littles, then this podcast will definitely give you an introduction uh, to where his heart is and uh, what he is uniquely called to address. Uh, I had an opportunity to sit down with him in Dallas, Texas, and uh, ask him about this idea of mission or missional. This is sort of the buzzword that's in the church community today, and there's so many churches out there that are capitalizing on using the word missional. It's been my experience that it really uh, depends on what church you go to as their understanding of missional. You'll hear me in the podcast uh, bring this up to Dr. Littles, in which I point out that some churches see the idea of missional as uh, anybody just do whatever they feel the Spirit is leading them to do, and the church should endorse that. And then other churches see it as uh, the job of the senior pastor to discover the mission of the church and then just download it to everyone else in the church. Uh, I really appreciate Dr. Little's response to that question, and I think you'll enjoy it too. You're also going to hear him talk about uh, border crossings and being a change leader. And as always, I really appreciate uh, how Dr. Littles doesn't just couch his comments in theological uh, talk, but you can really sense as he gives an answer that he deeply believes uh, the context in which uh, he feels the Spirit has called us to live. For that reason, because Dr. Littles gives us so much to think about uh, as he addresses the idea of missional, uh, I've broken the podcast up into two parts, but I've put up both parts now at the same time. The first part, you'll hear him just sort of talk about the theology around mission. The second part of the podcast, he specifically addresses the role that first and second chair leaders can play uh, in that process. Stick around after the podcast, and I want to share with you an event that I will be attending later this month in April, and I know there's just going to be some good content that I'll be able to share with you here on the site, secondchairleadership.com. So without further delay, here is my interview with Dr. James Littles. Today to talk with Dr. James Littles. He is the professor of practical theology at Urshan Graduate School and the academic dean at both Urshan Graduate and Urshan College in St. Louis, Missouri. We're together because we're both attending the Purpose Institute Summit in Dallas, Texas. Dr. Littles, thank you for taking time to talk with me on the Second Chair Leadership Podcast. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you. Great. I wanted to start our time together by pointing out 
some of the interaction that I've had with you. I know that your full-time job is at Urshan College and Urshan Graduate School. Maybe I should say your full-time and overtime job. But you also work with local church staffs. And I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit about what you feel most suited to do with local church leaders. Uh, when I think about Jesus being the head of the church, all the churches, uh, the thing that I see myself bringing to the table is a willingness to listen and to help leaders learn to listen. In many ways, I view this as kind of like a high wire act, walking without a safety net. Uh, this journey that we have as leaders in the congregation is walking uh, in faith and humility. So Pembroke had a great book several years ago on pastoral listening, and he said there were two tasks, uh, availability and confirmability. So when I come to the local church or a pastoral staff to help, I want to be able to be available to them uh, emotionally, spiritually, experientially, professionally, but I also want to be there listening with confirmability. Because I want to be able to hear what God is doing in a wonderful way there and to confirm that. Some places I go to help, they already have a sense of expectancy and great things. I want to confirm that. Uh, other places I go, they invite me to come because there's some, perhaps some anxiety, anxiety about where the church is and where it's headed. Well, I want to confirm the fact that Christ is the head of that church and he is at work. And we want to learn to listen together in the Spirit and confirm that which the Spirit is speaking. I like the idea of confirmability. And uh, from my experience with you both in the class and in the local church, uh, I know you're interested in that confirmability uh, in a missional sense. So I want to ask you, uh, because we do hear a lot, the sort of the buzzword today, uh, missional in the church community. And I visited churches that have interpreted missional as let everybody do whatever they feel drawn to do. And then I've met other churches that interpret missional as the senior pastor has determined the mission and he will now download it to the staff and the members. Uh, what is really an appropriate understanding of missional? So when we think of our Christology, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. When we see that Christ came into the world to bring transformation and change by his action, the Jesus event was a missional event. Mm. And when you see in his high priestly prayer in John's gospel, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. So if you ask me about being a missional church, the only way I can understand that is through the oneness of God message, that this fullness of God was in Christ in the world. Now that he has not left us alone, but he has sent back the parakletos, the work of the Spirit, to abide in each and every one of us. Now, every single member of the body is sent by Jesus Christ into the world. Uh, so that's the only way I know how to answer the question. To me, it's not really a new challenge. This missional thing is not a new thing. We see it all the way back in Genesis chapter number 3 when God asks uh, that strange question, Adam, where are you? Mm. God, The only thing we know about God that I'm aware of is God's missionary nature. And so if we as leaders and as part of this body in the world today can grasp that core aspect of Christology, I think that is what gives me the luxury of walking without a net. I don't have to have anything in reserve. I don't have to protect myself, defend myself, because I want to be there with churches and congregations to hear what the Spirit's saying. And I know that that's doable because He came. So it's rooted in our Christology. 
That's really good. So I know I've heard you say before that we, we really follow a missionary God. And in church world, there's certainly a lot that churches can uh, lay their hands to as they try to fulfill the mission. But I, I want to ask you a, a loaded question. Do you find that most church leaders really know the missional calling of the church in their community? I think they do at a very foundational level, and I don't use that as a pejorative way. I truly uh, value the apostolic foundation that's built on the apostles, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Uh, the challenge from there, I see my role as an apostolic scholar, if I can be so bold to phrase it <laughs> that way, yeah, uh, and a teacher of pastoral care, is to provide care for not just individuals that I'm called to walk with, but I'm also called to care for our apostolic tradition. So caring for our tradition as apostolics, and when I use the word tradition, I'm not using it in the negative uh, human endeavor. It's, okay. it's the journey of standing on the shoulders of giants that went before. I pray it's not in an arrogant sense of bringing change in my image, <laughs> but I trust that it's truly standing on apostolic shoulders. That missional understanding may look a little bit different if your church is on the outside of a military base or if your church is right next to uh, Marion Federal Prison. Uh, or it's right next to Harvard University. Yeah. Missionary nature may look different, uh, but that's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for whosoever will. Well, it's no secret for churches that over time, because they want to be active doing something for the kingdom, uh, but over time they can become entrenched in habits of ministry, even if those uh, ministries have become ineffective. What are some of the questions you really like to ask when you talk to a pastor who shares with you that he or she senses their church is active but ineffective. I love to take a walk with the pastor around the church building. Uh, I like to kind of take a tour of the house. Uh, similar if someone comes to visit our home, my wife will want to show the new floor that we refinished in the living room or the new <laughs> chandelier or say, well, we just put in a new microwave. She wants to show me where things are. And when I hear pastors walk through the congregation, hear things that they celebrate, and also hear the things for which they apologize. Mm. And it starts giving me some texture. Uh, that congregation starts becoming two-dimensional. Of course, I know congregations are not facilities and buildings. But as we walk through that uh, building, whether it's a storefront building or a multi-million dollar complex, I'll be able to begin to hear and to grasp an awareness of how the church uh, thinks about herself. And as we do so, then I can start asking about, well, what goes on here? And when I start asking the question of what's going on here, let's them, in a non-threatening way, uh, give me a snapshot, a glimpse of what's happening. Oh, for instance, a friend of mine pastors in Center, Texas, uh, which is not in the center of Texas. It's almost <laughs> in Louisiana. Uh, but when I visit his church, he takes me through the children's wing, and that church truly invests in children's ministry, and they do a major redecoration every two years. Uh, wow. Last time I was there, it was uh, made up like a, a wharf. The hallway had a boardwalk elevated down the hallway with ropes down each side. Wow. One of the children's room was made up like a submarine. You look out the portholes, uh, and there were all kinds of 
tapestries. Well, to see the Thanksgiving on that pastor's face, let me know that that congregation places an extreme emphasis on children. And so to hear that and to celebrate that and then start piecing the puzzle together uh, to kind of get a glimpse of that church's self-understanding the mission is behind each of those things. Kind of a qualitative analysis okay. is generally what I do. Uh, well, on that qualitative analysis, I've uh, experienced uh, firsthand you coming on. I've, I've, I've had you as a professor in the classroom and a consultant in the conference room. You spent a year working with the staff I'm a part of, not because the staff had splintered, but because we needed to work on the missional identity of the local church we lead. And over the course of several sessions, you led uh, the staff through a series of exercises. And in one of these exercises, uh, each of us as staff members had to fill in the blank for two statements. One of the statements was, the church is blank. And the other statement was, I am called to blank. The church is blank. I am called to blank. I want to ask you, why do you do that exercise with staffs? How does it, how do you find it benefits? Very good. Uh, for me, those questions were crafted uh, to, as an assessment tool. I was wanting to see the degree of agreement between the various key leaders of the congregation. Wh what degree of consonance or agreement is there on the definition of the church? And do each of the leaders there find their role in that definition as a core role. Uh, wrong way to select leaders for a congregation, I believe, is to find the most gifted person and invite them to join your church. A better way is for that the leadership team that's there that's seeking to add a new member is to evaluate where the church is and what kind of leader it's needed. I would prefer to maybe not have the most gifted person join the staff. I would rather prefer someone who sees that church's self-understanding is something they get behind 100%. If that new leader that's coming in is able to agree with that core missional understanding of that local congregation and then see their giftings as fitting in, now it's going to be more organic. I want to ask you about a term or phrase I've heard you use before. You've used the term border crossings. And I want to ask you if you could unpack that concept of border crossings for our listeners and maybe explain what you mean by that. I think our identity as apostolic leaders in the 21st century, we have to recapture another definition of being apostolic. Being apostolic is not just my apostolic distinctives, how I'm different from denomination X down the street, or how I dress, uh, or amount of bling that I don't have. <laughs> Instead, I want to look at a definition of apostolic means sent, sent with a mission, a purpose, a commission. In the biblical text, we frequently see God's people designed and defined as travelers and sojourners. Hmm. And generally that has destinations we are leaving as well as destinations towards which we're headed. Those who leave one place do not always have the luxury of entering into the new place. Mm. They have to have a glimpse of what's there. They may need to take the church through one set of borders. Moses was strategically placed and gifted to do Jordan River crossing, excuse me, Red Sea crossings, but he never got to do a Jordan River crossing. But Israel, as a people, had to make Red Sea crossings, and Ashby in his great book on black pastoral theology talks about 
the state of the black church in America. He's not writing from an apostolic perspective, but his image of Israel crossing the Red Sea as the impetus behind black theology of being let out of Egypt, let my people go. He says it's time for black theology instead of having Red Sea theology, having Jordan River theology. So change, which border are we fighting today? In holiness, for instance. Is holiness only about getting people out of the world? Well, for me, that's a Red Sea crossing. Uh -huh. We have to be set free, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. But he has a people not to be drawn from, but he has a people drawn out so they can go back in. So border crossings, for me, helps look at what kind of transitions do we have to go through. And in the New Testament, we have Jesus getting the boys in the boat and said, we are going to the other side. Uh, the Jordan, excuse me, the Sea of Galilee becomes a crossing challenge. Uh, in that crossing, they had to address two fears. The first fear was an existential fear. Don't you care for us, we perish. If we live our days in the anxiety of survival, we're never going to get to the other side of the Jordan River. Yeah. Getting through the anxiety of survival. Church is going through change today. We're living in a postmodern world. Uh, immigration challenges, financial challenges. The church is now an apostolic movement, modern apostolic movement, now 100 years old. If we define these all as challenges, we're in that existential survival mode. Once the Lord calmed the sea, it created an even greater challenge. Peter asks that great question, what manner of man is this? So the border crossing of the Sea of Galilee was not about the disciples. It was about the man of Gadara. So the church today crossing a border is not about, is the church going to be saved? The church is already his people. It's already purchased by his blood. But the border crossing I'm concerned about is, do we realize now that the transitions we're navigating, the choices we're having to make, they are not about us. They're about the people of Gadara on the other side. So this is why border crossing is so important for me. You referenced Moses a minute ago, and you talked about how he was suited to lead a, a Red Sea border crossing, and then you referred to a, a Jordan River border crossing, and of course there's a leadership change there to Joshua. I've heard you use the term change leader before. Is it possible for a leader to serve uh, the church, to serve an organization as a change leader, and then once the change is complete, they move on? Well, Moses did move on, but that was a 40-year uh, process in doing yeah. so. Uh, I, I would like to state up front in response to a very good question that the real change leader is the work of the Spirit. So as leaders today, I think we can bow at the cross one more time and say, Lord, you're leading this change. I don't have to know where that is. Some of your listeners may be familiar with strategic planning, for instance where you do SWOT analysis, strengths and weaknesses on the inside, opportunities and threats on the outside. Right. And then we develop a strategy to lead for the next two or three years. As an apostolic leader, I like to talk about apostolic uh, strategic planning, and that is asking what in the world is God doing? Mm. Then how in the world do we get in on that? Because if the Spirit's sure. blowing, if the Holy Spirit's at work in the world today, I want to see that wherever it's happening. And I want to say, Jesus, can I get in on that with you? So as a change leader, the problem isn't that change is here. The problem is rate of change. Uh, Toffler wrote the, wrote the book in the 70s, Future Shock, 
uh, talking about the rate of change now happening quicker than before. And that's what creates the crisis in the church, is the rate of change. Many of your listeners know that over their lifetime, they will have four or five, six careers. Uh, they yeah. might have trained to be a historian or an English major, elementary ed like I did uh, in my bachelor's program. Uh, but all of us now know that we're not going to have one career like our grandfathers did. They want to retire from one place after working there 45. We just don't have that world anymore. Right. The problem is that rate of change. And how do we stay excited as apostolic leaders, not bound by fear and anxiety? Uh, do I believe in uh, change leaders? Yes. I believe in any pastor that's going to stay in a church more than six or seven years or any staff member, is going to have to negotiate change. Because over a seven-year cycle, the congregation is going through a life cycle. The leaders are going through life cycles. Whether you're the senior pastor or an associate pastor, all of you are going through these transitions. So change will come. Kind of like Jesus said, offense will come. Hmm. Uh, the question is, are we going to be willing to learn how to handle those changes as they come? That was some really good stuff from Dr. James Littles. I know you've been challenged by what you've heard, and uh, all of the resources that Dr. Littles referenced during the podcast, I've made sure to include links uh, there on the website in the show notes so that you can go directly to those various books and resources if you want to check those out and learn more uh, about them. Go on if you can and listen to part two as he talks about first and second chair leadership and how that fits with the missional purpose of the church. But right now, as I said before the podcast, I want to mention to you an event that's coming up I'm going to be able to attend and I just know uh, I'll have some good content for you to put on the site after the event is over. If you've ever heard the name Walter Brueggemann, then uh, you know the impact that Dr. Brueggemann has had uh, on the theological world. He has uh, written extensively. Uh, he's a theologian for many years, and uh, he is especially gifted uh, in his writings regarding the Psalms. And uh, I'm excited that Walter Brueggemann is actually coming to do an event in the town in which I do ministry, and I will be able to attend the event and I also know the host of the event personally, and I'm really looking forward to getting to meet uh, Walter Brueggemann. So uh, next, at the end of this month, I know I will have some great content from both the event itself and a personal conversations uh, I've had with Walter. Hope to get an interview with him. We'll see if that happens. If it does, I know that'll be some uh, great content. But I wanted to let you know about that upcoming event. If you would, give me your email and your first name right there on the site, secondchairleadership.com. And I'd love to send you some email alerts whenever new uh, information is put up on the site. I won't use your email to spam you, just to notify you about new content as it goes up on the site. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. I look forward to the next time whenever I can pull my chair up next to your chair and we can continue the conversation about second chair leadership. Leadership.